interesting. Uh, all right, but that's not what I want to discuss in the pre-show. You know what I want to talk about in the pre-show is this might just make Fedora work for me. You ready for this one? Yort in Fedora. You know, that is the Arch user repository management tool. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. basically the Arch user repository in Fedora. This is... Uh, okay, that is like it right there. You think so? You think this could be it? I think that, that would be sweet. Yeah, so uh, yet another repository tool is what Yort stands for. It's a wrapper for Pac-Man, which adds automated access to the AUR. Yort has the same syntax as Pac-Man, and for now, and now Fedora users can use Yort to install AUR packages in Fedora. Uh, this is no joke. I wonder if anybody in the chat room has tried this. This is amazing, because Fedora 22 was really solid, but at the time I tried it, I was having a hard time getting a couple of apps I needed, Harupad, Mumble, and right. Telegram. Yeah, definitely. Right. That that's why that's one reason I never really used it because I, I couldn't get the apps for it. Yeah, in fact I think I just read somewhere that uh uh what was it? I think they said that essentially the I can't remember where I just saw this, but the Fedora repositories have essentially kind of stopped growing in terms of software. Mm-hmm. And this could really help that. I mean the AUR in, in, in Fedora would be really I don't know how well it could possibly work. Yeah, so does it make native that's packages exactly. for YUM or DNF, I guess, now? I, I, I would think it downloads the TarGZ stuff and builds it, right? You're just building it. So it's almost like our own version of ports from FreeBSD. Yeah, kind of like the AUR is, really. It's, yeah. uh, it could be crazy. If that anybody out there cool. tries it, if you try it out there, uh, dear listener, let us know. Maybe I'll try that's it. That's exciting. Yeah, I might try it, too. Put in a VM. Well, and Fedora is so easy to recommend, you know, especially people with Macs or other things where you just get a nice setup, built yeah. environment, yeah. but you don't have all the packages you need. Yeah. Yeah, that is always the killer. Mm-hmm. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 103 for July 28th, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly talk show that's rounded the 100 mark. My name is Chris, and we have a great show, and I'm happy to say that Wes is in studio. Hey, Wes. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going great. How about yourself? Hey, thank you for making it right after the big move to Seattle. That's pretty cool. Oh, I'm happy to be here. So, uh, are you good, or are you exhausted? I mean, come on, be honest. This is my recovery session. Got a nice beer, hanging out with the fine folks in the mobile room. What could be better? Well, we got a great episode today, so we're going to do a couple of updates on some stories that are relevant in the community of the Linux Unplugged show and uh, kick those around with our virtual lug. And then after that, I have some really awesome clips from OSCON. I went down there armed with a portable audio recorder just to record interviews exclusively for the Unplugged show. And it turns out, going down there with this tiny little recorder as opposed to a big camera, you get a lot more intimate, personal interviews with folks. Oh, and so exciting. we've got some really good chats coming up in today's episode of Linux Unplugged from OSCON 2015. Can't wait to play those for you. And then, later in the show... Radio is about to be over- overtaken by an open-source Skunkworks project right here in our community. And the very creator of that project joins us in the mumble room today to give us a little insights on his plans to overthrow the proprietary hold on radio broadcasts. It's a big deal. And we're going to talk to him today. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you might see it worked into a future Jupiter Broadcasting initiative. And then if we have enough time at the end of the show, I got a few things I want to reminisce about where uh, we were just doing the back of the napkin math in the pre-show and we were like, wow, we are in the 10th year of the Linux Action Show. Unbelievable. And 
anytime you've been doing something for 10 years, you get a little bit of an itch. Sorry, honey. I'm not talking about you. No, 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 baby. Baby, I love you. I'm not talking about you, baby. Uh, but I'm talking about the show, sweetie. God. Wait, you see that look I'm getting, Wes? That's, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Sleeping baby, at the studio I love tonight. you, honey. Anyways, we're thinking about making some changes to the show, and if we have time later, I'll talk about that. If not, maybe we'll just cover it in a future episode. But why don't we start? Uh, our buddy Wimpy, who sometimes joins us from time to time, is the guy behind the Ubuntu Mate. Matai. Mate. Like the drink. Uh, and uh, he made a lot of news this week. And I was just curious. Uh, I wanted to kick it around with you guys. Do you guys think this is a really huge deal or not? I was, and why did this get so much traction? When, uh, when Wimpy announces that the Ubuntu Mate version of 1510 will not ship with the Ubuntu Software Center, it has been removed. Is it just me or were you surprised? I mean, Wes, I'll throw it to you first and we'll throw it to the Mumble Room. We haven't brought them in yet. I should do that. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. Hey, Hello. hey guys. Hello. So uh, I'm going to ask you in a second, but I'll throw it to Wes first. Wes, does it make sense to you to pull out the software center? And why do you think this made so much news when Wimpy announced it? I have seen it covered on pretty much every Linux news outlet. It was the top of the R Linux subreddit. I was in the Ubuntu subreddit. It was uh, the number one voted story in our subreddit this weekend. What do, what do you think? Why? I mean, I do think that, you know, being a being a spin of Ubuntu itself, you know, the Mate edition, people do, you know, they, they kind of assume there'll be a certain underlying familiarity in the mm. architecture, the infrastructure, yeah. the underpinnings of what it. What you've come to know and love about Ubuntu. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And while many of us may not use the software center, I, I could see how people who are more into the Ubuntu community in, in general. Well, yeah, here's my question to you. It seems like if I, if, if, if I'm a new user, uh, so when we, when we had Chase switch to Linux... The first thing he did is anytime he wanted anything from Steam to Chrome, he went to the software center. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of like their expectation now. And so if right. there's nothing there, let me ask you this. If there's nothing there, is that better than having something that's not very good? In fact, Rotten, do you want to start all? I can toss this to you. Rotten Corpse, do you think having nothing there is better than having something that's awful? Yes, but that's not what Bunty Mate is doing. So... That's not even that's not even on the like in in the page right now because they're replacing it. They're not removing it. They're yeah. Replacing well, it. no, don't go there yet because I want to get there. But just yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But I mean, but yeah, if if because the Ubuntu Software Center is atrocious, yeah, and it should be removed by but, Ubuntu. Then yeah, it is a bad thing because when someone's using something and it takes you know it, it ta- the, the the software center to get new software takes longer to open than to install the software. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Big problem. So you think, though, Rotten? Honestly, I mean, I, I mean, bashing the software center aside. Honestly, is it better to have nothing at all than to have? So the reason I'm asking is uh, uh, this: aside from what the Ubuntu Mate project is doing, is it maybe just better to just remove it than to have nothing at all? So Chase's experience when he went to install Steam, he got two different entries for Steam. He was then prompted to create a Canonical account, and then he had to try to give it his address and his payment information to Canonical to download the free Steam installer, and he was completely lost, and, and it just stopped him dead in his tracks, and he had to come to me and say, what should I do? So, Rotten, do you think, is it better before there's a replacement to pull it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, for that particular software center yeah. it is by far the worst and it there are so many bugs with it that it's that that they I mean they've they've made one update in two years and they're fully and canonical's fully aware that it's awful so yeah they should remove it because people who are coming to linux without having any connection to it what's before whatsoever they're going to be googling stuff anyway so all they're going mm. to do is see mm-hmm. the first example of a software center that is awful mm. 
Especially no. if it, we've been conditioned with, you know, nicer Mac stores, even the Windows store. Which, and now mobile. And now mobile. Everyone thinks about it. It might be easier to teach people. We don't do that this way in Linux than to yeah. give them the half-assed version that we might have. So, uh, Wimpy, uh, I'm, I'm glad you could make it. So uh, tell us about this update and where now the Ubuntu Mate project is going to take this. What's the Ubuntu Mate's answer to this problem that we've kicked on for, I mean, it feels like since the inception of the show? Um, yeah, I've just I've literally just joined... <laughs> The chat room. So I, I think I, I love you, Wimpy. No about. excuses. I want to no, Wimpy. Yeah. I want to give you a big hug and a kiss right now. But I, I was just, <laughs> I just to recap really quickly. I was just uh, mentioning, like, first of all, holy shit, did you get a ton of coverage about this change? Congrats to you. And number two, did you didn't. <laughs> are you joking? You didn't notice? Maybe now I uh, now well, be- I saw some of it. I saw. Some I of because it. I because I follow all of the feeds for all of our shows. To me, when a story shows up more than a dozen times, that's a lot of coverage. And your story got a ton of coverage. You got the top of our Linux. You were the top voted story on the Linux Action Show subreddit, which is actually a fairly large, generates quite a bit of traffic. Oh you got you were on Softpedia. You got you got coverage all over the place. Plus, not only that, you got six reshares on Google Plus. So I saw it in my Google Plus feed constantly. And you generated a ton of discussion in the Ubuntu subreddit and the R Linux subreddit. And uh, and the thing that got me the most about your post, Wimpy, is you say we have something lined up by way of replacement and it's not synaptic and that i was like oh what is it so wimpy why this change and where are you going you got to tell me okay all right okay so um there's a new uh, so i i've only seen a couple of articles on this and i've had some feedback through the ubuntu mate community so okay um i've written a, a new utility for ubuntu mate called ubuntu mate welcome oh um and one of the features that that has is a simple one-click install for applications that are popular and or difficult to install and or proprietary and difficult to install. Hmm. So in there, it's a highly curated selection of applications. And the list of applications that are in there are built around tasks that myself and my immediate family and friends that are using Ubuntu Mate uh, need to accomplish and the software that they need to install to do it. So my father-in-law said to me, Ubuntu Mate is great and once you've set it up for me, I can do all of these things I need to do. But if you're not here, I can't, you know, install the things mm, I need. Yeah. So I've just put those things in there that people need to get stuff done. And that's really what it's about. It's one-click install get stuff done so i've developed the means of installing software and it doesn't necessarily have to be stuff that's in the official repositories so for example there's a one-click installer for steam Mm, there's a one-click installer for google chrome Mm. there's a one-click installer for the hangouts plugins and so on and so on and behind the scenes it enables the necessary ppas only if that PPA is from the developer. So Rotten knows about this. Very nice. I told awesome. him and said, said, go and get your uh, developer for you get to put a build for Wiley into the PPA, and then I can turn this on, and you can have you get installed mm. from the PPA, and you then get a conservative, stable distribution with rolling applications. So wow! Now I have. I love that's it. The plan. Uh, that's that's brilliant, and I love that you're you're basically getting the low hanging fruit first there with Steam and Chrome and things like exactly. that, which is like going to yeah. be like the checklist of the first apps that pretty much everybody I've switched to Linux asked me about. Yeah, I mean, Mate yeah, yeah. is so going to be those, heads up. Yeah, 
you know those articles that say you know the 27 things you need to do after you install <laughs> yeah. x y this is the antidote <laughs> to that because those 27 things are all a button you know i love to, um, it Lib DVD CSS too. Well, and kind of what you're doing too, in a lot of ways, is you're taking uh, a, a lot of the distro tweak tools where you go out there and you you copy a wget command that runs as root from the from their website and you paste it in your terminal and then it downloads and installs and adds stuff to your repo and then all of a sudden next thing you know a uh, like a Lua interface app comes up or some GTK app comes up and you're like what 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 is this okay I'll check these boxes yeah. and, and you don't really quite know how legit it is and what you're doing is you're sort of legitimizing that process and saying well here's a yeah. sanctioned way to get this low hanging fruit and it's brilliant yeah. But so, it's, and it's also uh, more than just the the most common things people are expecting. So as Wimpy said, there he he asked uh, we, he he mentioned to me about getting you get in the the welcome as well, and we didn't have a fifteen ten branch. So when he asked for it, uh, we immediately just launched one so mm. we could get it in there. So like this, it's a lot more important than just you know the the stupid twenty things after you install things. Yeah, but. Because like, it's actually getting people to, to, in some ways, it's sort of greasing the uh, the wheels uh, for fifteen ten when it lands. Because people are going to have to move forward on that. That's cool too. Exactly. Yeah. And the other the other thing is, if there's an application, let's say for example, Dropbox. Dropbox is a one click installer in there. Dropbox has Android and iOS applications. So where there's an Android and or an iOS application, there are buttons to take you to the app stores mm. for mm-hmm. those companion applications Brilliant. on the mobile platforms. So, and it tells you what they're equivalent to. So for GIMP, oh. for example, it explains this is an alternative to Photoshop. You like that? Yeah, that's very nice. One of the things we've done is um, added the CMYK plugins for GIMP. You know, oh so it, wow! It adds all the extra Dude, bits and pieces. That's crazy! That this is incredible, Wimpy. I love but, this. And so, uh, Wimpy, are you? I mean, you know, this is not this obviously is not the replacement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this so, is like a this is like a this is like a stopgap, isn't it? I mean, this is you know, honestly, Wimpy. Though I could see companies that would be wanting to partner with your distribution to maybe get a button in there too. Yeah, what would maybe, be the process for changing the software that's uh, added for this? Welcome? Oh, it's it's all well, at the moment. It's the simplest thing possible. So it's just so effectively, Welcome is a very simple WebKit browser with my own protocol handlers to han- handle things like uh, handling installations, handling software removals, uh, launching executables, and, and doing things. Hmm. So instead of having just hyperlinks that navigate, you have actions that trigger things off. Now, behind the scenes, it's it's using apt-daemon, which is all the same technology that the um, Ubuntu Software Center uses for actually handling the business end of installing the software, you know, and resolving all of the dependencies and all of that stuff. Yeah. But because I've now got this mechanism of saying, here is an application, click this button to install it, yeah. and the undercurrent of feedback that I've had from the Ubuntu Mate community up to this point, we'll get to that in a moment, but up to this point has been, why is the Ubuntu software included? You know, uh-huh. it's it's slow, it's bulky, uh-huh. people always explain what the alternative is that they install, it's uh-huh. often synaptic. Yeah. <clears throat> so I thought, right, well now I've got this option to install things after the fact, I'll remove the Ubuntu software center from the default install to satisfy all of those people that say they didn't think it should be there in the first place and I'll add, add a link in the welcome to install it so you can still choose to install it but given that people have said they weren't keen on it I've been out and I've looked at all of the alternatives that are out there so I've looked at the uh, the deep in software center mm-hmm. and considered forking that but that's a bit 
bit too much like hard work, mostly because mm-hmm. a lot of the comments in the source code were in Chinese, and my Chinese is well, I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> Just um, a small area. I've <laughs> yeah, it's a small problem. I've looked at the Lubuntu Software Center, which is nice and lightweight, but the problem there is that that doesn't have the facility to um, log in with your Ubuntu One account and access prior purchases. So mm-hmm. that's why the Ubuntu Software Center is relevant. Anyway, right. cut long story short, I've contacted the author of AppGrid, and he has agreed to me adding uh, an install option for AppGrid inside no the ubuntu mate welcome no so now you'll be able to choose whether you want to install the ubuntu software center or app grid and use that as your um that's your interface perfect that is perfect wow you know uh wimpy and i i think what i love about this is uh i mean i what the hell do i know but it seems like to me you could develop out that welcome screen uh if i was um I'm trying to think of a good fit, but if let's just take the mirror media player or whatever. If I was an open source project, I would, or there is, a, you know, there's some really cool apps being built for elementary OS. Like some of you may have seen this weekend, uh, a newsreader for GNOME going around that's sort of built for elementary OS first, but it works on any platform. There's some really neat apps that are being developed these days, and they could reach out and say, you know, we'd love a little time, a little, a little welcome, you know, a little welcome space here, because and and of course your taste and preference would pick which ones get featured there. But it could be a really neat way to expose users to some, some I guess, like curated, well-picked yeah, and well-placed okay. apps. Are, are you thinking about that or are you resistant to that? No, I am thinking about that. So I've got a long list of applications that I haven't added yet, some that I definitely will and some that I'm considering. But basically the selection criteria is does this integrate well with the Ubuntu Mate desktop? Mm. So, so long as it, it installs and it works and it integrates. And, for example, um, some applications, uh, say some of the KDE applications, which are very nice, pull in so much of KDE underneath mm-hmm. that it fills the menus and what have you with a load of KDE applications, which makes it look a bit messy and confusing. Yeah, it does, so, does, I, not the I have to, have to dodge those. <laughs> yeah. Which is unfortunate because some of them are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so long as it integrates well. So yes, you know things like you know, do we remove Thunderbird from the default installation mm. and put that in Welcome alongside Geary, for example? <coughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I've. But this is a way because you know sometimes you get these derivatives of a distribution which are in name of distribution ultimate version or yes. whatever gaming edition got, or whatever yeah they've got everything imaginable installed <laughs> and it's great because you install Turbo. this one thing and you've got everything <laughs> yeah well this is a way for me to make ubuntu mate do everything you know easily access everything but you don't actually have to ship right you know a five gigabyte I pick. you know distro yeah i get to pick and you can choose what you want and welcomes asynchronous as well. And so just to clarify, like API 984 in the chat room saying, what are the sources? You're working in a lot of cases with these developers to say, hey, give me a PPA that I can, you're going to develop and, and for the 1504 directly, right? Or I mean 1510 directly. So in a lot of cases, so, it's like it's best case scenario for the source, right? Yeah. So uh, I'd say half of the applications that are in there are just coming out of the official archive at the moment. So it's just an apt, under, under the hood, it's doing an apt install. Yeah. I'd say 25% are using a PPA, but it's the PPA from the developer. So I'm not just finding an app that happens to be in some random PPA mm-hmm. and enabling a random PPA. I'm actually going to the developers 
and finding their stable PPA, or if it doesn't exist, asking them to make one and using that. And then in other cases, for the likes of um, VirtualBox 5, for example, and Dropbox and Steam, it's actually enabling the Steam and Dropbox and VirtualBox sure. sure. third-party yeah. repositories and doing all of the... So you, you get know, the updates right from them. Stuff. Yeah, so you, you are getting the official, you know, latest versions from their yeah. archives. That is cool. Nice, Wimpy. Well, I'm glad you're able to stop by and give us an update on that because that's oh well. And slick. somebody that's mentioned awesome. <clears throat> is an is an AppGrid proprietary, and the answer to that question is yes. AppGrid is under a proprietary license, which is why but, I contacted the author to ask if I could uh, include an installer for it. Um, I'm more worried it's, about the fact that it's an installer that I have no idea what it's actually doing. Yeah, and AppGrid's written in Python, so actually um, you can. Go and look at the source code. Oh, if um, it's open, you, I don't care what the license is. <laughs> as long as if I get a little suspicious, I can take a look. Is that what you're saying, Ryden? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, so if, some, if something's installing something in my system, I want to know yeah. what it's doing underneath. Mm-hmm. But as far, if it's, as far as it's licensing, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But th- that's why I'm going to continue to include a link to install the Ubuntu Software Center and clearly label that as an open source you know, tool and then upgrade as an alternative to that. It's under a prop- I mean, for example, there's um, InSync is in um, Ubuntu Mate Welcome, which is a third-party proprietary application that is a, a Google Drive sync yeah. utility. In my opinion, it is the best tool mm-hmm. for the job, but mm-hmm. it is a commercial application. But it says so in there. This is a commercial application. After the evaluation period, if you still want to use it, you will have to pay for it. With a link to, you know, how much it costs. Um, Because, well, you know, there are open source alternatives, but my choice is the best-in-class application that integrates Mm -hmm. well with the Ubuntu Mate desktop. And I could go for Grive, but Grive is not the best-in-class application. And I've found out it's somewhat unpopular, but I don't think Ubuntu Software Center is the best-in-class software center for Ubuntu. I think AppGrid is. There you go. Well put. And uh, I support you 100% on it. And I like to see a little taste uh, involved in uh, some of these uh, desktop app selections. Um, and, you know, truth be told, people that think there's maybe, like, for example, InSync, if you think there's a better solution, then you're probably the person that knows how to go get it and install it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, including including the um, plugins for the Kaja file manager, for example. Yeah. So it does all of that, you know, desktop yeah. integration. Now, this business about Ubuntu Software Center, considering how much, you know, I've heard, oh, we don't like it, we'd rather you choose something else. Now I've suggested that I'm going to remove it. Man, am I unpopular. This is the biggest misstep I've made in Ubuntu <laughs> Mate since I've started the project. Really? Oh. The, silent, the silent majority have risen up. And they're not so and, silent anymore, huh? Uh, no, no, they've all found their voice and <laughs> they're making it plainly clear that you know, they're all happy I, with all the Ubuntu software All I can imagine is cheerleaders center. popping up and screaming. No, I, I imagine it goes something like this. Uh, the only reason I move people to Ubuntu is because <laughs> they expect a software center and it's the only one that at least has a software center for them for the use regardless of how good it is. Is that essentially what yeah. you get? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's... <laughs> so it's, your, it's your choice. You choose the Ubuntu Software Center, or you can choose AppGrid. And a friend of mine has just popped in the chat room, chat room, Jay Ressington, and we've been exchanging some messages earlier on um, on Hangouts. So, so Joe, um, no, I won't be compiling AppGrid because <laughs> AppGrid is written in Python and it's an interpreted language. It will be installed from the 
app grid developers ppa <coughs> wimpy you should give joe the pro tip and have him join us in the mumble room i mean come on he could uh, he could jo- rib you joe, right joe in the uk yeah. is uh known as the linux podcast right Super i mean i know he has a microphone so <laughs> i know yeah. he probably knows how to make mumble work i'm just saying, just he, saying. Know, he does know how to make mumble work I mean, I'd, I'd love for joe to come <laughs> in and, and have this conversation because i know he's got some strong feelings mm-hmm. about proprietary software being listed in there and mm-hmm. this is the place i'm just saying i'm just uh, yeah okay wimpy uh, is there anything else you want to mention on on that because this no 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 i guess i'm going to be <laughs> joe says his wife is asleep so he can't join. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> always a good go, excuse yeah but i think i think he i think he'd have been up for it had, had that not been the case. <laughs> yeah well uh keep us posted on how it goes i'm sure we'll check back in he may have another chance to give it to ribia because uh i have a feeling this is going to be something uh, we'll follow oh, some sure. interest <laughs> yeah <laughs> Joe's on, Joe's on at least four other podcasts, so he's got plenty of opportunity to call me out. I know it hap- just happens to be during this one. The wife is sleeping. I will. I'll try not to take it personally. I'll, I'll, honestly, I'll no, try no. Not to take it I, I know. I know his wife has very good um, sleep practice, and uh, she, she likes an early night. <laughs> oh, good. Popey's joined in as well now. Oh goodness. <laughs> right, let's let's change the topic. <laughs> All right. Well, Wimpy, thank you very much. I appreciate You're it. Welcome. Uh, as, You're welcome. As always. Um, you know, there was one story I wanted to get to that maybe uh, po- I'd like to poke uh, Popey about. Um, but before we get to that, I'm not going to say it's about Plasma Mobile. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Ting, our first sponsor here on the Linux Unplugged program. Go to linux.ting.com to support the Linux Unplugged program and check them out. Because what I love about Ting is there's no contract for your service and you only pay for what you use. So just put that in your brain organ for a second and think about that. It's a flat $6 a month for the line and then it's just your usage on top of that. And that is slick. So when we went to Oscon, Noah had a Ting phone, Noah's wife had a Ting phone, I had a Ting phone, my wife had a Ting phone, and we were rocking the communication down there. And what's super slick was Noah had a rental. And so we were driving from where we had the family staying to Oscon, and I turned on the Wi-Fi hotspot mode and connected Noah's car, his rental car, to the Wi-Fi hotspot on my S6 as we're driving down I-5, and, like, the media system on his car is, like, pulling down track information from the Internet. and all wow. off. It's totally cool, and I don't care. I'm honey badger about it because I'm just paying for my usage. I don't have to be, like, in some sort of special shared data plan to have wi- Wi-Fi tethering or anything like that. And you can try Try it out too. Go to linux.ting.com and try out the savings calculator and see how much you'd save by switching to Ting. I'm saving over $2,000 every two years. No contract, right? So there's no early termination fee. And if you're in one of those duopoly contracts, Ting has an early termination relief program. Yeah, dude, they're crazy. They got an early termination relief program. They're going to help you get out of that contract. And here's something else that's different about Ting. When you call them, you get to speak to a human being. You call them at one eight five five ting ftws anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. on the East Coast. In fact, check their site because they, they, uh, they do move that window depending on demand. Uh, and you get to speak to that human being. A human being. And they also have one of the best control – well, they have the best. Not one of. They have the best control panel in the business. So that way you can manage your account, turn devices on and off, name them, check your usage, set alerts, set, set thresholds, transfer devices, deactivate devices. When Noah was heading out of here at the end of our OSCON trip, I went to my Ting dashboard. I removed my Nexus 5 from my dashboard. Within an hour or two, he was able to add to his dashboard, and he had a Nexus 5. Never had to call anybody, all through their super slick website, no termination fees, no contract hoopla. It's like, hey, man, you want to try out the Nexus 5 for a little bit? Here you go. And I just boop, 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 click a thing, click a thing, boom, we're done. 
It's so nice because I just did it right from the Ting dashboard in seconds. And everything's like that with Ting. And just for $6 a month for the line, if you've got a few people in your family or you've got a small business, there's no cheaper way than going with Ting. But it's not the kind of cheap you're familiar with. It's cheap in the way that's inexpensive, but still the service is awesome. And they have something most carriers don't have two networks to choose from. They have a CDMA and GSM network. So you can figure out which one has the best coverage or data speeds in your area and pick that one. Like in my Nexus 5, I get to bounce between CDMA or GSM. And because they have a GSM and CDMA network, there's a ton of devices you can bring. And if you're going to bring a device, you go to linux.ting.com. They'll take $25 off your first month of service. That more than paid for my first month. That's how, that's how I really, $25. That's a little, that's, I mean, I, when I think about a smartphone, twenty five now now that I got now that I got a couple of phones, I'm down. I'm only down to a couple of phones now because I've been giving a couple away. Now I'm now I'm like around thirty five, thirty seven, forty bucks a month. That's still not that bad though for three smartphones that with unlimited data. Just pay for what I use, right? I don't have to worry about going over some orbitage and getting some crazy charge when I turn on my my hotspot or tethering. And if I pay a little more one month, it all wa- washes out because most months I'm saving a ton of money because I'm pretty Wi Fi savvy. So I just when I wrap my head around this, I think how else would I've been able to do this? Especially for Jupiter Broadcasting, where we don't have the budget to spend hundreds of dollars a month on cell phone lines. I don't know how I would have done this without Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, try their savings calculator, see how much you would save. Remember, they have an early termination relief program on top of that, and give them a try. Tons of great devices, too, if you just want to buy a device. Starting around $60 for a feature phone, all the way up to the best devices in the market. linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. So this week, uh, one of the big stories that we saw hit the interwebs was Plasma Mobile, a free mobile platform created completely from scratch, uh, totally uh, from scratch, no, <laughs> no other distributions or projects that they are sitting on top of, and it has hit the web, and images are ready for the Nexus 5, and it is based on freedom, user-friendliness, and privacy, and of course, the Plasma desktop. Now, uh, in reality, I, Josh... Uh, just like so many other great open source projects, they're standing on the shoulder of giants. I'm sure there is tons and tons of Ubuntu mobile work in here. We do know that. They're using uh, LibHybris to get uh, Android uh, video drivers working under Linux. And, of course, all of the work under Qt. But, Roddenkorps, uh, you've had a little bit of heads up about this, a little bit of time to look at this. What were your first impressions when you started to learn about this new project? Uh, I was really excited. They actually told me uh, – I talked to a developer for the, for Plasma Mobile, and they said that uh, – it's it is based on uh, it has a lot of Ubuntu stack, but it also has like one of the graphics drivers for Android. But everything else is all Linux based, so it's it, it is sharing some stuff that that Ubuntu has. They've also built a lot of their own stuff too for the shell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and their their app system and their widget system is completely unique. And uh, there's a, the demo of it is is pretty cool. Uh, so I'm actually looking forward to it. And it's the the best part is that the plasmoids that are based on the desktop or actually work in the phone, too. Yeah, that's pretty nice. So those are ready to go. Um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I, Popey, I'm sure you have nothing but nice things to say. <laughs> but uh, what are your first impressions when you see a project that in a lot of ways uh, is somewhat competition for Ubuntu Touch? Do you think this is uh, good? I'm sure you do, right? I think it's great. Yeah, of course I, you I do. The, the whole idea of having lots of different, uh, lots of diversity in the Linux mobile market is uh-huh. great. Okay. Why, why would I say anything otherwise? Well, so here's the th- yeah, of course. Why okay. else could you say anything else? You know what I've noticed is the particular group that is putting this out 
has been particularly vocal about their feelings about Canonical's efforts in this area. Uh, I would say perhaps they've been discouraging about those efforts, a lot of claims about duplicate effort, a lot of claims about reinventing code that already exists. But in reality... I'm not so sure. I think there's a few... I mean, you can you can always hunt down individuals who can be vocal and negative about any particular project. I could probably find someone negative about anything. Oh, of course. Um, of course. You know, I don't think I don't think it's fair to paint the entire you know KDE or Plasma community as negative towards one thing because they're a bunch of individuals who sure. each have their own idea. I think it was interesting uh, that uh, one of the things they showcased in this video is uh, out of the box, they're planning for support for Ubuntu touch apps. Yeah, that's cool. That is cool. Um, I mean, it, you know. What you got to remember is what we're using on Ubuntu Touch is, you know, Q- QML. And I know there have been comments in the past like, oh, look, Ubuntu have finally come around to Q being like the right way to do things. And, and, you know, th- so it's no surprise that they support that kind of stuff as well on, on the Plasma mobile because, sure. you know, that's, that's, that's their bread and butter. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I find it, uh, great that they put an image out for the Nexus 5. It makes me want to try it, although I don't have my Nexus 5 right now, but that, that, that that's kind of neat. Has anybody in the mum room actually flashed a Nexus 5 with it and tried it? I'll have to try it later. I got my Nexus 5 in my pocket. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> uh, that's neat. Um, I guess I'm excited. Uh, the, anything that puts more development momentum behind mobile cute apps, I'm actually all for. Because I really think that'd be good for everybody in general. I think Qt's a great, great, great toolkit for this, and I would love to see more Qt development, especially around mobile. Because not only would it make great apps for Plasma desktop, but it would make great apps for Ubuntu Touch. It'd make great apps for the Unity Eight desktop. I would imagine. I mean, I think it's a it's an amazing toolkit with a lot of runway, and so I'd love that about this. I also the other thing I love about this is actually getting more people to dog food Wayland. That's a really good thing. And that's something that Ubuntu Touch doesn't give us right now. And so that's awesome, too. That all said, I don't know how far this is going to go, but I'm totally willing to sit back and willing to wait and watch. And I'm really curious to know what they have in the works, like App Store-wise and integration-wise and partnership-wise. I really want to talk to them soon. And Rotten, we're kind of in the background setting up something to talk to them in the future, but we just don't have it nailed down, right? Yep, absolutely. uh, It it possibly could be... Uh, available this week, even. Ooh. Stay tuned and find out. Uh, yeah. So that's neat. That's neat. So uh, the uh, what's the web browser, says Peacemaker? I don't know. Does anybody know what the web browser is on Plasma Mobile? Rotten, are you up to I you? think it's the Ubuntu browser, but the one for their their mobile version. But um, the, they haven't specifically said yet. Okay. They said that that's one yeah, of the options they're looking at. The, the image, I, I tore apart the image to have a look at it um, when when it came out and uh there there's some yeah there's some ubuntu components in there um i i wouldn't necessarily expect those to be in there forever i would i would expect their you know things like our in in the image and in the demo there's our weather app and the music app and the calculator and the web browser i wouldn't be surprised if those get replaced with more natural mm. you know K, kde bedfellows than than the ones we have but i'm you know i'd love to share work with those guys and for you know if they've got patches for our apps that are appropriate for them or if we've got things that we need to do to make it work on on their platform that'd be awesome does it feel validating a little bit uh, to some to some degree yeah there's there's you know the fact that someone can take that image and you know if you if you rip the image apart inside it there's a shell script and that shell script basically takes 
and a bunch of touch image rips out the <laughs> you know, mirror, mirror and unity and you know the bits that they don't <laughs> want adds a ppa and puts in you know the kde stuff which is exactly what you know many derivative linux distributions yeah. are is yeah. they rip apart you know, that's the that's what you do with your preview version is you rip apart somebody else's uh distro and then you put back in the the value that you want to put in and then you distribute that for people to play with people play with it and then you, maybe you'll make a more robust solution so i don't doubt they'll have image creation servers and all the kind of infrastructure that we have for ours but they'll be generating their own images and and it yeah. may well be that they don't they don't use ubuntu touch underneath forever that's yeah you know they, even they still may well though, choose mir or someone or something else gen that, 2 who knows that was the meta story i took away from this is that uh the ubuntu project has created something that a bunch of really smart people felt it was worth basing their project off of uh because uh I think in a lot of ways, that's sort of uh, one of the better validations of an open source project is that another group of really talented people can look at it and go, there's some serious merit here, and we want to incorporate this and start from here. And uh, regardless of how long they use it as the base, I think in some ways it adds legitimacy to the efforts that Canonical is working on here, is that another group of really smart people think it's worth their time. And maybe inspires other people to do the same thing and create interesting other spins. Yeah. And now we have... prerequisite to maybe KDE taking a page out of Microsoft's book and making KDE hearts canonical. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just waiting for my next KDE interrupt. (laughs) I think you're pushing it a little. (laughs) No kidding. No kidding, but maybe just a little softer touch. Uh, All right. Well, that's fascinating. Thanks for the updates, guys. Uh, I want to uh, transition to OSCON. This is the meat of today's episode. uh, I got some really great stuff down at OSCON. I'm really happy with the way everything turned out, and I want to cover that. So before we jump into our exclusive OSCON coverage in Linux Unplugged, I'd like to mention DigitalOcean, the sponsor of the Unplugged program. And boy, did DigitalOcean come through all of the clips you're about to see, all of the interviews you saw on Linux Action Show, all of it. Transferred, archived, stored, moved between destinations using DigitalOcean. And why not? DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own rig up in the cloud. I'm talking a Linux Linux rig based on KVM, SSD for the I.O., top-tier internet connections, and HTML5 UI to manage all of it. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a freaking terabyte of transfer. A freaking terabyte? They have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a brand new one in Germany. But what I love about DigitalOcean, what keeps me coming back, is that sugar of their interface. That UI is done so well. First of all, it works in all your devices, so that way you don't have to worry about that. Even, even the console. They've written a web console in Go that watches the machine from post all the way up to boot. You don't have to worry about needing Java or ActiveX or anything like that. And then you can do pretty much all the functionality you'd want. You know, you can manage your snapshots, you can do DNS management, you can deploy applications, you can back up, replicate, archive, expand the storage, all the stuff you'd expect. But if you just decide you want to automate that S, you know, you want to take it up to the next level, or you want to do it at scale, or you want to integrate it in with your update systems or your puppet management infrastructure, DigitalOcean has a very slick API that allows you to do all this stuff very straightforward. In fact, there's a ton of really good community applications already built around this slick API that you can take advantage of right now absolutely as just part of your DigitalOcean service. And remember, all of this starts at just $5 a month. And if you use our promo code DOUnplugged, one word, lowercase, DOUnplugged, you'll get a $10 credit. 
You can try out that $5 rig two months for free. This is a Linux-powered rig that is unbelievably fast, up in the, up in the cloud, up in the sky, up on somebody else's computer, whatever you want to call it. It rocks, and it's only $5 a month. And you can choose from Fedora 22, Ubuntu, LTS, current versions. They've got FreeBSD. They've got Debian. They have really nice one-click deployments if you want to get a Ghost-powered. You know, Ghost is a great blogging platform, Markdown-powered. If you don't need WordPress, if you don't need something as advanced as WordPress, you just want to post and go, check out Ghost. Why not host it on DigitalOcean Drop? You want own cloud? You want to de-Googleify your life? Check out DigitalOcean. You want to have a Minecraft server, a Mumble server? Check out DigitalOcean. You want to have a GitLab server? Check out... Do you get the point? It can do all of these things at $5 a month. And of course, you're relying on Linux as a fantastic memory infrastructure to just keep going and going and going. And you can up it as you need. It grows with you. And if you use the promo code Unplug, you get the $10 credit. You try it two months for free. They also have incredible tutorials that take it to the next level as well. Go to DigitalOcean.com, use our promo code D-O-Unplugged, one word. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. It's a really great setup. I've got tons of droplets. Noah's got tons of droplets. Wes, you've got to go over there and create a droplet. Oh, I, I have one. Oh, that's right, you do. What oh, do you yeah. use DigitalOcean for? Uh, well, a number of things. It's, uh, it has, they have great pipes over DigitalOcean. So Very I have, fast. I have a few servers over in Europe. This is my proxy server. Downloads things, stores them in cash. Good it call. It works great. Good call. I also run SyncThing on pretty much all of them, which uh, that's know, also keeps my data with use. me all the time. Yeah, SyncThing, BitTorrent Sync, and OwnCloud are great uses. I love the proxy idea. That's really slick. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DOUnplugged and go build yourself something on a droplet. You'd be surprised how far you can get at just $5 a month. Okay, so our next segment, I'm really excited. We've got some great stuff. But first, I, I want to touch on a big conversation we had in Linux Action Show this Sunday around RFID tracking at OSCON. There was uh, RFID printed in the badges, and in some of the major rooms you went through, they would track attendees to see which rooms you're in, how long you're in them, to kind of get heat maps of popular sessions and things like that. Now, I have to clarify, uh, Josh R. Simmons from O'Reilly tweeted us and said, your OSCON show had some inaccuracies around RFID. People could opt out and employers don't get the data. There's no reports that are sent to employers. So I want to make that clarification for some of you who are uncomfortable about the OSCON tracking. They don't send reports to employers and there was an option to opt out. I thought it was kind of a fascinating thing they were doing in the first place, but I just thought for those of you who are concerned about that, we should make that clarification. Now, that's really the only mistake you're going to run into because, you see, when Noah and I go down to events like this, we've been doing this for a while now. Professional. We are a well-oiled machine, Wes. Like, we get down there, we're strutting our stuff. What's up? Linux Action Show, biggest podcast in the Linux world. We're here. We're going to record some interviews. Get out of the way. And I tell you, it all goes really well until you realize... We've showed up an hour early, and the expo hall hasn't even opened yet. When you told me you didn't have anything until one thirty, I thought, I thought, okay, well, then we'll just go do interviews until one yeah. thirty. Uh-huh. You see, that's what, yeah. I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's not what you were thinking. Well, and not only wasn't what I was thinking; it's actually not what I communicated to you. Because <laughs> you see, what you communicated was, I don't need to be there until one thirty. I did, but I also I did specifically tell you the, inter- the that the expo hall wasn't going to be open until the afternoon. Just, I think by that time, I think here's what I've learned. Okay, here's what here's my here's my. Mistake. My mistake no, was expecting right. no. to get, convey more than 15 seconds of information no, at one time. No, important, no, no, information, no. important information. No, it's just that you ramble. Yeah, so. exactly. Right, right. So, so I have to condense it down to 15 seconds no, no, no. and spit that out. That's not true. That's not true. Well, that's not true. No, okay, fine. Then I have to come up with interesting other things to say to fill around the 15 seconds. <laughs> you do have to sell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll keep that in mind for future reference. Oh, we got that for, we got that worked out. But there was a little bit of, uh, it's actually kind of nice at OSCON. They have a media room set up. So we were able to kill a little time in there. We got some things sorted out. We got some bad stuff resolved. And our first interview of the day was uh, with one of the chairs of OSCON. And I asked her, like, for people who are listening from a community standpoint, what's the connection between O'Reilly and OSCON? And can you give us a little information about how that all connects? Oh. 
We're walking around here at OSCON, and I ran into Rachel. Now, Rachel is a very, very interesting guest on the Unplugged show because she runs this whole thing, puts it all together. I'm really excited to talk to her. So, Rachel, welcome to Linux Unplugged. Happy to be here. Thank you. So, uh, Rachel, I know that uh, probably a lot of folks are somewhat familiar with OSCON, but I don't know if they really are familiar with uh, uh, how O'Reilly is involved with OSCON, because I think we all know O'Reilly. So could you touch on just a little bit of O'Reilly and OSCON and how that is all connected? Absolutely. So O'Reilly's been around for about 38 years, and OSCON's been around for, this is the 17th one. And so we've always really been a part of open source before it was even called open source. And I believe we were part of coining that phrase, and when we did, that was something that we brought to OSCON. OSCON actually started as a, uh, a Perl event, and then as more and more people came to the open source community, uh, it became uh, more of a developer event. And so O'Reilly has many, many events at this point. Uh, we have, I think we have 18 per year, but we also we have books, we have videos, um, and, uh, you know, we distribute uh, e-books, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you guys are very, very well known for the ebooks and uh, the books online, I, and, and the animals, of course, are yes. a very iconic aspect to it. So I, I don't know though. Do people uh, do people when they hear O'Reilly? Do they think of that le- that legacy in open source? And how does OSCON help sort of familiarize people with that? I think they do think of the legacy. Like I said, so OSCON uh, has been around for a long time, and you see a lot of people, if not come back every year, come mm-hmm. back every couple of years mm-hmm. to, to check in with the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that it's something that people have been looking at for a while. Sure. Yeah. I, I wanna, what I want to make sure OSCON is, is that we're bringing in, constantly bringing in new people yeah. so that they are a part of that legacy. Because even though open source has quote-unquote won, uh, there's a lot of work left to do because it has to do with how do you bring that into your business? How do you make that work? How do you make money from it yeah. while still being a good open yeah. source community member? Yeah. And, you know, that's such an interesting uh, aspect there, too, because it is exploding every year. It feels like the open source world has gotten bigger. There's so many more technologies. And, you know, we see really fascinating, big, huge companies like SAP are in here and how they leverage open source. But one of the interesting things about OSCON for people that are uh, not here right now that is hard to capture because we're on the floor all the time, and you get an idea and a sense of the activity. But what's really hard to capture is there's some really incredible sessions going on, mm-hmm. and I know there's been some, some specific retooling around some yes. of that this year. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we used to be set up by language, and I think that was because uh, developers identified with a certain language, at least more so than others. And what we realized is that there's so many languages, frameworks, techniques, uh, all different open source pieces, that there's now the right tool for the job. So what we wanted to do instead was pick out what are the common problems that developers are having, either in securing their software or scaling it, or uh, how do you take it mobile, and giving them solutions and having those solutions be able to be applied to different frameworks, languages, so Absolutely. And uh, there's also been some pretty like intensive sessions this year that really are like you could come here and get very familiar with something. What's the intent behind that? Well, we wanted to get, we, exactly, we wanted to get a little bit more intense. We had uh, four two-day training courses. One was uh, on Swift, another was on Go. Microservices is a big deal. We really wanted people to be able to come in, take two days, not put it off any longer. Um, focus. Focus, be able to actually, when they go back next week to work, yeah. to actually solve a problem and give them those materials to solve that problem. So we had those 
we had 38 tutorials, which is like an amazing amount of tutorials. Um, and those were like three to uh, six hours. And then, like you said, the sessions where you're just sort of getting a taste of what something is. Now, if I'm watching from afar, uh, is there any kind of uh, el- any kind of resources I can read up and get an idea of uh, what's coming up next year so I know if I want to make it out here? Is there like a site I can watch or a feed to follow? That's a good question. So we have OzCon.com. Uh, and you can go there and you can check out the, the keynotes will be streaming or not streaming live anyway but they'll be there you can check them out and then you can check out O'Reilly's Radar uh, and that's some uh, you know I talked a little bit about what we were doing I'll talk about what I did see and honestly I want to talk to a bunch of people while I'm here to see what they did like what they didn't like one of the things I'm thinking about for next year is making a track that's like the mind blowing track which is just like super advanced and like people can go in and be like I, I don't know what just happened so. get known for being really hardcore in there yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's great I love to see what you guys get to come up with. Rachel, thank so much for coming on Linux Unplugged. No problem. It was a pleasure. And uh, that was interesting. You know, they 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 decided uh, as uh, the conference gets bigger, their solution to sort of uh, becoming less relevant is to get more hardcore and focus more on content. We'll see how that works as they move to Texas. Now, this next clip I got here is called Matrix. And I don't know if you're – are you familiar with like Stack, which is like a collaboration tool for teams and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's – really popular these days. It's really t- taking off. And there is an open source competitor that you can either use as a hosted service or host yourself called Matrix. It's an open source stack killer and it involves IRC, chat, WebRTC, persistent rooms and project planning, calendaring, and integration with third-party services. And they're saying, stop using stack and try and try out Matrix. It might just solve your needs. So we spent 12 years building SIP infrastructure and got quite depressed in the end because SIP was meant to be like this email, but for VoIP and video. Except in practice, nobody has SIP URIs on their business cards. And the open federation, the open interoperability thing, just hasn't really quite taken off. So we went and uh, wrote an alternative to SIP based on HTTP, just a really simple HTTP API, where if I want to set up a video call to somebody, I do one hit um, with the offer of what media I want to talk, and you do one hit back with the answer, and that's it, we're in a call. So none of the complexities of SIP with all the, you know, is it UDP, is it TLS, is it TCP, is it, you know, this version, is it that version? SIP is quite old and very fragmented. Just doing it as a, in HTTP works a lot better, and that's one of the things you can use with Matrix. Except Matrix isn't just about VoIP and video. You can also use it for instant messaging. We've got the little drone sitting down there, um, which we're about to launch as an Internet of Things um, demo, um, where you can go and get the video off it uh, via Matrix, but you can also control it. Uh, we went and hooked up people's cars to Matrix, so the car kind of um, sends out telemetry as little blobs of JSON into Matrix, and you can go and consume it anywhere else. So basically, Matrix is a big, open, decentralized object database with PubSub semantics so that anybody can publish any random data they want, and it could be a message or whatever. And uh, over here on the screen, am I seeing like a persistent group chat environment? kind of looks like a bit like IRC and messaging. Yeah. Yeah, so this is one of the classic things you can do with Matrix. Use it as a persistent group chat thing. Um, This is an Angular environment, um, and there are a couple of hundred chats going on there. A lot of these are bridged through into Freenode. Freenode have been very cool and let us go on and actually bridge Matrix into Freenode or or vice versa. Um, Here is another view of the same room, say, um, but uh, a more Slack-like environment. This one's written in React. And so, if you're going to, so this is kind of like a like a team collaboration sort of version of it, sitting on top of the matrix object database. Yep. Or, huh. And and so I assume in this I could have 
text, image, video, audio, all those things in here? Yep. So any JSON you like. So, well, you can hear these are just instant messages with people trying to do weird shit with UTF-8, but if we um, go back to this one, um, if you double-click on stuff like a message like test there, you can see it's just arbitrary JSON. So it could be a mRoom message, or if you were doing a video call um, here, it could be a bit uglier. It's a mCall invite, and you've got the description of the media for that call right. there. But it could be drone control. It could be car telemetry, whatever the hell. And my program, my app, just needs to be able to read this and know what to do with it. Yep, precisely. So we define some standard types like m.call. Anything that begins m. is matrix, and it's part of our spec. But it's like Java namespace. So if you wanted to have a, I don't know, com.google.whatever the hell Google might use it for, then just feel free go nuts put data in so if I wanted to roll this out what's my what's my backend structure look like is it a Linux server what's running on so we're providing one reference server at the moment which is written in Python and Twisted and um, it's about 30,000 lines of code um, it's pretty beta but it works well enough to have rooms with like a thousand people in it and a couple of hundred um, servers participating and it runs on well, any OS that can support um, Python really um, some of that is well, it could be Debian uh, we've got Docker files Suzy images Fedora images and even somebody made it run on Windows <laughs> very cool I like that you have any questions? So what does what does a customizability look like if I want to if I wanted to specify can I specify video parameters like the codecs I want to use or the size of resolution I want to send that kind of thing? So what we do for the actual video on one of these calls and uh, if I go and put this on the right network I'll even go and do a quick demo. That's a great question because that's a that's something we run into all the time is we want to be able to specifically say 720p because we know we have the right band with the right environments we built it for that. But a lot of con- like Hangouts and Skype, a lot of the consumer solutions, they just automatically decide what they're going to give you and you have no say. Right. So what we do is to slightly punt on the issue. Right. And we just use WebRTC, which is built into the browser already. Right. Right. And we use whatever it gives us. We can, uh, I think there's an idea of intents where you can say, or constraints, where you can say, how I want it 720p. And if you're lucky, then the browser and the camera and the planets will align and you'll get what you ask for. But Matrix so itself the is intent says if the system supports it, give me this? Yeah, precisely. So Matrix is just the signaling. We are relying on whatever else mm-hmm. is already hanging around, like WebRTC, to make that work. Now, if I go and try to quickly find Evil Matthew, who's my demo self, and say hello there, then... We're going to go and give Evil Matthew a video call, I think. I like that. Okay, so there's... Uh, oh, sorry. I'm Evil Matthew. Oh, oh okay. Matthew okay. I see, I see. Uh, I can get him. Oh, I like this. No way. Like then, yep. then this is going and um, okay. pulling open WebRTC. Yeah, and it just puts it right there in yeah. line with the chat. And oh, we nice. should have an inbound call. In fact, I got it coming in. Uh, oh, in fact, that's the, the previous message coming in on my Apple Watch. But if we go and accept it there, then hopefully. Oh, interesting. So there's also there must be a there must be a, an app running on your phone that's also getting the messages from the call, so you're getting push notifications to your phone yeah, too. Absolutely. So there we go. But that's now just a typical WebRTC call. So this is six forty by four eighty, and it's just a default that you get. But as I say, you can put constraints on it to try to get seven twenty p. And you can see that I'm getting push notifications coming in here, also on the app from various different channels because we've got iOS and Android apps and about ten different clients. About five of them are from the core team, and the rest are from the community. So people have done command line clients using WeChat, um, 
There's a Java desktop app, there's a Chrome app, all sorts. If if I'm a company that was looking at something like Slack, could this be a replacement for that? Could I use this maybe in place of Slack? Um, Potentially. Um, So the big advantage is that you can run your own server. Um, All of the conversation history here gets replicated over the participating servers. So I can run my own one, you can run your own one, and if we're in the same room, then no single server or entity or vendor like Slack, for instance, owns that conversation. It's aggressively decentralized, a bit like Git or Block chain or something like that. Um, so that's quite a compelling thing. We've also got end-to-end encryption in it using a OTR-like thing, which is actually better than OTR. Um, and that, again, makes it kind of interesting because with Slack, you have no choice but to just hand all your data over to them. Whereas here, if you wanted to flip the bit and turn on end-to-end encryption, and, you can. And for the encryption implementation, how much of that is done out in the open? How much of that is, is open source or documented? It's all open source under the Apache license. Uh, what we did was to take the Axolotl Ratchet implementation or specification that Open Whisper Systems have um, written and released, and it's what WhatsApp uses in TechSecure. And we wrote our own um, cleanroom implementation of, of that spec and it's called OM, um, O-L-M. You can get it from GitHub, Apache licensed, along with the rest of the Matrix code base. Awesome. Thank you very much for the information. I'm definitely going to check that out because we've been looking at something kind of like that. Appreciate it. I like this more than, say, an alternative to going with something proprietary like Slack, and it's it's a neat uh, kind of package all put together. Skooky Sprite, you seem kind of impressed by it during the uh, playback. What do you think? Oh, I mean, it sounds like uh, you know, totally integrated, uh, free and open source. Yeah, you know, I'm big about I'm big about that aspect of it. That means it's accessible. You can audit it. You can, you know, you know that, like you said, you know, it's your own data. Yeah, and for the most part, you know, uh, Slack is a pretty compelling product. But when it's my company, and it's like. You know, one of the things I think about with something like Slack is it seems like it could be a really good solution for 2015, 2016, and maybe even 2017. Now, what happens if Jupiter Broadcasting makes it 30 years, 35 years? And I want to look back at sort of like the formative years of the company. I would really, really, really regret having that data either A, not available because that company's not around or in some sort of proprietary format that I can't get access to. So having something like that, the, the collaborative details of where our company was at, owning that. To me, seems like a part of the company's history. Definitely, you know, in my office, uh, we used to have a custom backend chat client uh, XMPP based. Mm-hmm. We've been looking at, you know, we, we're using Slack now, uh, but I know there are still some shareholders in the company who are concerned about data flowing outside of our co- company yeah. to someone else. Yeah. Uh, before that, we've been stuck using Pigeon and other XMPP clients. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. if there is something like this that yeah, you know, has a newer interface, has yeah. more abilities, yeah, that could, might be yeah. you know, so big for a lot of enterprises. It's called Matrix, and it's of course that's a Boy, as far as SEO goes, that's pretty rough. I've even tried to get links for the show. I tried, and I had a rough time. But uh, I can't believe they got the .org. That's kind of impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you can get it right now, matrix.org, and uh, go check it out. So this next thing is um, this is this is the last sort of like businessy sysadmi thing, and then we're going to get into some really crazy great stuff. Uh, the this one though, I want to talk about because. There's this category that kick, gets kicked around, and I think a lot of people kind of associate with being a hipster, maybe the DevOps category, right? And the DevOps. And it's this one guy or gal, and they've got to do one thing. They've got to build code, integrate it with servers, and they've got to be able to scale, right? And they've got to get to thousands of servers. And the thing is, is I'm, it sounds like I'm making fun of people, but this is an actual job that, to me, sounds like it would keep me up all night long being responsible for thousands of servers when I really just want to create ser- software, I don't really want to be a sysadmin, 
this sounds like the recipe for an ulcer. And so there is an open source project out there called Metosphere or Mesosphere. And uh, Mesosphere, have you heard of this at all? Mesosphere is like a like a cluster management orchestration suite at a high level. I was just looking in tutorial the other day. It looks very interesting. Really? So this is one of the people working on it. Now, I got to warn you, he's not a public relations person. Uh, this was a bit of uh, rental space, essentially, or free space that uh, GitHub gave out to some open source projects. And so, uh, Wes, I'd be really curious to hear your insights after we play this. I get an idea of uh, Mesosphere Apache cluster management with my chat in the, uh, in the little area where uh, GitHub has uh, given out space to certain open source projects that they like. So my name is Michael Hausenblatt. I'm uh, leading DevOps relations at Mesosphere. And um, what we have here is Apache Mesos, a cluster resource manager, a top-level Apache project. Um, takes a bunch of nodes in your cluster and abstracts that away, making you as a, a developer who wants to develop an a, a distributed I see. So if I'm, if I'm a developer who's in that DevOps role right. and I have thousands of servers or hundreds of yep. servers or tens of thousands yep. of servers, that's a massive task for one person to manage. And exactly. this is trying to make it possible for one person to manage all of that? That's right. And for uh, a person like a developer who wants to write distributed applications, it's really the kernel of a kind of distributed operating system. And that's what we do. How Now, um, I see here you have one of the key bullet points is that it's fault-tolerant right. and battle-tested. How does something like this not become a single point of failure that just takes somebody down for the right. day if it, if it has issues? Very good question. Number of components, like all of them, like the master and everything, is, is fault-tolerant. So you always, whatever fails, everything will fail over to something that is on standby here. So... There is really no single point of failure. And on in the back-end server, is it is it Linux-based? Is it? Uh, it is Linux-based. Yes. And then, what does that look like from a deployment standpoint? Is this something? Is it an appliance? Is it a container? Is it a is it a software package I install? Essentially, yeah. We have uh, two versions: the community edition, which is cloud only, so you can only deploy it in one of the public clouds; and the enterprise edition, which you can also deploy on-prem. Okay. And what's the on-premise one look like? Is that more of a That's the enterprise edition that also comes with support and okay. a bit of secret sauce? Yeah. You know, essentially, uh, the guys who uh, used to do messes at Twitter and Airbnb, taking that experience yeah. and productize that. Taking infrastructures like that and fascinating. Well, thanks for the information. Thank you. So what was your impressions of when you were researching the product? Or I guess the project, I should say. You know, it seems, it seems like the Apache Mesos on steroids. Yeah. Uh, you know, something that even further adds abstractions because the whole big, big idea here is being able to easily scale and maybe not even have to think about it. Yeah. You know, the ease of writing. It's like you just drag resources around kind of a thing. Yeah. Or? And you can kind of write as if it was all one big resource. Yeah. Um, oh, so with free, so it, it, it gives you tools at a development level. Right. Uh, or you, you can't do that. Interesting. Well, very cool. And so uh, where do people, do you know, do you have any good recommendations if people want to find out more about it? You know, anything you found very You know, useful? it looks like there's even a DigitalOcean tutorial right here, an introduction <laughs> oh, to nice. Mesosphere. Look at that, there is. Huh. Well, there you go. That's actually probably... That's probably the best bet just are, as a starting point. Yeah, because they have, they have technical writers that go through those. And okay. nice diagrams, too. So have you heard, yeah. Whoa, look at that. I don't have, I don't think I have a shot of your machine there. That's me. No, but I don't have a shot of your machine, but that, you know what, I will for next week. Um, so, uh, have you heard of the company Fastmail before? Yeah, I was just checking, looking at their services the other day. Are you joking? I think I saw an advertisement for it, and it was kind of interesting. Yeah, are you kidding me right no, now? No, I'm not, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, you know, I kick around, you know, Jupiter Broadcasting's backend mail is, is powered by uh, Google Apps. Mm-hmm. Mm. The and, usual hand wavy, yeah. So there's two ways I look at this. Uh, uh, lazy, practical Chris goes, oh, man, this is great. I get, like, all of the stuff I'd want from, like, a collaboration software without having to run a collaboration software. And it's really great. I just click a button. I can create new accounts for people. And the webmail is pretty good, right? 
and the calendaring's great. And so that's practical, Chris, right? And then uh, Tinfoil had Edward Snowden following Chris goes, hey, man, you know, you're getting emails from people in Iran, from China, in Russia, and they're all landing in this Google uh, inbox that anybody could just go... Uh, we'd like to have access to Mr. And so, like, sometimes that's and it's like I have these two competing voices in my head, and they all, you know, what they both agree on. Like, both they both argue with each other constantly, except for every now and then they go, you know, you could check out Fastmail, and and I go, oh really? And like, and then I start. So then, like, Fastmail's been building up momentum, and so I was walking around OSCON, and I bumped into the Fastmail folks, and I thought, gosh, I've really been thinking about this. And I wonder how much of their infrastructure is Linux-based. What is their participation in open source? Because I was wondering exactly those same things when I was looking at their site. Right, exactly. And I'm thinking, if I maybe make the switch, I want to you know, vote with my wallet again. I mean, I want to make the right choice. And so I sat down sort of to vet Fastmail for myself and vet Fastmail for Jupiter Broadcasting. Fastmail is email done right, or really email calendars and contacts done right these days. We do uh, hosting uh, for all of those for individuals or businesses, uh, and uh, we just do it really well. We have our own interface, uh, which is much faster and more powerful and more elegant than our competitors, and uh, we also do a lot with open source software, which is why we're here at OSCON uh, this week. Oh, very interesting. So uh, somebody like me who's on Google Apps might want to find something maybe a little different. Maybe uh, maybe I'm not as comfortable with Google Apps as I used to be. And I love that you use open source. That would definitely play into my decision just as an open source advocate myself. How does open source play into FastMail? So the core IMAP server that we use to host everyone's email is Cyrus, which is one of the two big open source uh, IMAP servers. It was started by Carnegie Mellon University oh, about 20 years ago now, I think. And for at least the last five years, probably ten years, uh, Fastmail have been the biggest contributor to that project. Uh, my colleague, Bron, uh, is probably the main developer and leads, uh, leads the project these days. Uh, we also have a couple of others now working full-time on that. So uh, we make huge contributions to that. We also have a huge number of open-source uh, Perl libraries that we've made available uh, that we built as part of our middleware, which is, is built in Perl. And also, more recently, we have open-sourced a couple of JavaScript libraries that we use to power our web interface, uh, the most popular of which being the Squire uh, Rich Text Editor, uh, which is now um, getting quite a lot of attention, 3,000 GitHub stars or so, and uh, yeah. So, uh, indulge me, if you will, on the back end, uh, are we seeing, is FastMail running on Linux servers? Is it on uh, Windows boxes? What's sort of the back end infrastructure look like? Is that open source, too? Uh, so, yeah, most of the back end stuff is uh, open source. Uh, we run on Linux. We certainly don't run on Windows. I I think there's one or two Windows machines in the office somewhere. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Um, Any Linux desktops in the office? Uh, there are quite a few Linux desktops in the office. Um, uh, it's a bit of a, it's pretty much a split between Mac and Linux, or Linux run on a Mac in some cases. Um, uh, and I think yeah, there's one guy using Windows because someone has to, just to make sure it still works. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to blame somebody for the network spam. Well, exactly. Uh, the, the yeah. So the back end is is uh, mainly run on Linux, and I believe we publish most of uh, kind of the things we do. It's only anything that's interesting to our GitHub account. Uh, that includes our custom patches on Cyrus and various uh, thing, things like that. Cool. So check out the GitHub page for that yeah. stuff. Great. Well, thank you very much for the information. Yeah, thank you. 
I love that. Uh, that was a great chat. And it was cool to find out how much of their infrastructure actually uses Linux. Were you impressed now somebody was looking up the, their services? Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that, that definitely speaks to yeah. their organization, where they're going, yeah. what they're based on. Also, you know, there's other great services out there like Colab and other things to mm-hmm. check out as well. So it's, it's a good time out there. And then we have our last interview. This one was a fun one because not only is he a listener of Linux Unplugged and the Linux Action Show, which I, I got to say, <clears throat> the Samsung booth was not going to get any attention by us this year, except for this guy was here. Because uh, last year, they had a really nice, passionate guy from Korea who didn't speak English. And the thing is, is it's pretty hard to interview somebody who doesn't speak English. And so what they did this year is they doubled down on the amount of engineers. So they brought in a lot more engineers uh, who are all from Korea. Uh, but they also brought in people who were familiar with the products and spoke English. And so what you got to see is people who were insanely passionate about the products. And one of the things that doesn't come across because this is an audio interview is uh, we were – once he started talking, all of the engineers huddled around and listened to what he had to say. Oh, they all awesome. wanted to know. It was like, oh, it was really intense. But what was great is because we, ha- we were doing the audio interview, it was just a very natural, hey, let's walk up and take a look. And it just sort of the conversation unfolded. And this is one of my favorite kind of – it just happened – because I was recording exclusively for Linux Unplugged. Now, I'm here at the Samsung booth, and I saw a Tizen sign, a big Tizen sign here on. I was like, wow, look at this thing. i got to take a look. And while I was noticing that, Noah noticed a very slick-looking phone. What grabbed your attention about this phone, Noah? Uh, honestly, it... Uh it looks like an iPhone, but it's made by Samsung. That's the first thing that's... <laughs> it looks like, it, like it's smaller. It's, it's an old, maybe an older one, right? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, older iPhone, maybe. But, but uh, it, it has like the traditional like, but like, uh, uh, like Samsung things you expect, like a home button on here. Right. And all the things. But it doesn't run Android. No, that, so when I turned it on, it actually... It's, so look at this, Chris. When you turn this phone on, it actually... It looks almost like the Android unlocker. When I unlock it, it, it kind of it resembles yeah. Android. Yeah. And the first a little thing cleaner that, UI, yeah, maybe. Right, and the first thing that caught me were these applications down here... And yeah. then, obviously, the home Oh, I like that. I like the way it displays right. that. Right. So I thought to help uh, put all this together, maybe we could talk to an expert here. So Ben's here at the Samsung booth. Hey, Ben. Welcome to Linux Unplugged. Hi there. It's nice to meet you guys. Hello. So can you tell us, uh, what, what, the, what the heck is Noah holding here, and what's, what's different about this phone? So that phone is the first phone that runs Tizen, which Tizen is our own open source operating system that uh, is basically just a Linux distribution that we've added a few APIs to give you access to device functionality like sensors and uh, your cell networks and things like that. Um, it's really great because it lets you write applications in just straight C++, just like a standard Linux application. You can also write apps using web-native languages like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So it kind of gets the best of both worlds. You've got the systems side of things that let you get really efficient C++ apps, but then you've also got the simplicity of your web-native languages. So uh, I've wondered, you know, I noticed Samsung, obviously, pretty well known for their Android devices. You might have noticed this, too. And when I look at this, uh, this device, not only does it feel like a pretty well-built phone, because it's a Samsung, and, you know, they've got some experience with that, but the UI, uh, especially, like, in the notifications tray here, reminds me a little bit of TouchWiz on my S6. And so um, where does Samsung see Tizen fitting in with something like uh, the S6 and TouchWiz? Where, where is this? Because you could almost tell me this was a TouchWiz device, but then I noticed a few differences. Could I maybe see this on a U.S. phone in the future? Where does Samsung see it all fitting in? Uh, honestly, I, I can't really answer questions about products like that because I'm not really privy to that information. Um, I do know that we're trying to get Tizen on as many different types of devices as possible. Yeah. So you can see, I mean, I notice it's not just phones. We've got, we've got, is this a DSLR here? And then, and then we got a watch here too. Tell me about the DSLR, would you? Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a pretty full-featured camera that uh, runs Tizen. So I mean, it's. 
Why, why ties it on a camera? Honestly, I can't. I don't it's know a, you need an OS. A camera needs an OS, yeah, that's right? right? I mean, that's they're right. pretty sophisticated, I guess. But, but I'll tell you, the, the one, one of the great benefits of ties is it's better for, since everything runs in C++, it's better for uh, devices that have lower memory, lower CPU power, which is why we also put it on our TVs, because you know if you're trying to put something like Android, it's going to bog it down with all the overhead for Java. Yeah, Tizen's going to get a lot better performance, and so that's probably also why it's on the watches, right? Yeah, that's correct. And so tell me about the process of that. Did uh, When Samsung goes out there... Uh, and uh, they, didn't these first didn't they first try these with Android, and then they decided to switch it to Tizen? And did they just, was it performance? Can you tell me a little bit why Tizen was there? Because so many devices these days have Android Wear. As a yeah. consumer, I almost expect Android Wear. So I would kind of I would kind of wonder why Tizen. There must be some advantages. Yeah, well, if I'm not mistaken, I think we actually released Tizen watches um, pretty long before Android Wear even came out. Um, but that was that was actually really where it started for us. Um, and once again, it's because on a watch, you're not going to have very much CPU power. You're not going to have a whole lot of memory. So you have to have an operating system that's pretty efficient to run on it. You know? And is, if, as a community member, can I contribute to Tizen? Could those changes eventually show up on a Samsung device? Yeah, so Tizen 3.0 is a completely collaborative open source project. Anyone can pull it off of the... I think we have it on GitHub, but... Um, actually, no, I think it's a separate Git repo. But anyone can pull it down and make, con- make contributions to it and submit it back upstream... Um, all of these devices are actually based on Tizen 2.3, which was developed internally by Samsung and released as open source. Um, so the, the changes wouldn't show up on these devices, but in the future we're hoping to get some more devices that run Tizen 3.0. Very, very neat. And so if I wanted to take a little look at the, some of this stuff, maybe learn more about Tizen or learn about creating apps for it, where do I go? Uh, you can check out developer.tizen.org, um, and that's got all the information for for right, it's got an API for learning about um, or API documentation for learning about all of the uh, functionality that we provided, and um, yeah, so that's good. Very good. Well, Ben, thank you very much. I got to check out this camera resin ties, and that that is, is the. Are you are you playing with that right now? What is, yeah, I am. So uh, one of the things I noticed is um, I'm not sure if this technically qualifies as a uh, as a DSLR because it looks like there's just an LCD sure. inside of here. Yeah, but look, look at, at that. The, yeah, picture. yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. if I can figure out back to get to the plate. And the picture is super sharp. So, like, I've turned the, the aperture is, down. Yeah. Fast is, look at how much blur we have. Oh, it's touchscreen. Yeah, it's So, a touch you screen. get all this blur in the background. And look at this right here. You get a little pull-down menu right there. How slick is that? Well, the thing I can see that would be advantageous about this is, Chris, is we can take these pictures, and, and then we can go and just upload them straight to Twitter. So, you get all the all benefits cool. that you would expect from a professional camera yeah, so that's with Wi-Fi the advantage it? of a smartphone. Oh, I wow. would assume so, yeah. Wow, check that out. Well, boy, welcome yeah, to the Wi-Fi. future. Yep. Share that, that might be my next camera. Linux running camera, I gotta have that. It was pretty neat, and you know what? It was really responsive. Like, you would have thought it was a custom-built operating system just for that camera. It was super snappy. So to have like a, to have all this kind of nice, slick UI and features on a little camera like that was pretty cool. Has anyone else really embraced Tizen? Because that, that seems like where it might be really interesting is to have a non-Android mm-hmm. platform that other yeah. you know other people could take and yeah I mean it made sense cameras. on the watches too it was interesting uh, we'll see where it goes I, I you know I asked them of course they wouldn't they couldn't give me an answer on when we're going to get that stuff in the U S yeah that'd be too fun that would be the key thing that would really be the key thing so that's uh, that's scratching the surface of course we have uh, another two hours of OSCON coverage in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show well not really two hours about forty five minutes fifty minutes in episode three hundred and seventy five of the Linux Action Show OSCON twenty fifteen. And uh, you can go check that out if you want even more. Also, in the show notes, because I'm a good guy, 
I also posted a playlist of just the OSCON interviews from the Linux Action Show. If you don't want to watch the whole episode, you can watch. Tired of Chris. You just want the OSCON business. You got there it. There you go. Yeah, because it's more. It's all Noah in the interviews. Uh, all right. So uh, we got to talk about this Skunkworks project in development deep inside the community from Las Vegas. Uh, but first, I want to talk about Linux Academy, the third sponsor and final sponsor right here on the Linux Unplugged program. I've been a Linux Academy customer for about a month before they became a sponsor. And when I decided to uh, become a uh, – uh, when I decided to uh, work with them to be, and have them become sponsors, we said – my conversation started literally like this. I almost don't want you to be sponsors because this was my idea. I wanted to do this. Like, like, if, I, like if I knew everything I knew now, like ten, almost 10 years into Linux Action Show, looking back – this is so brilliant. So, you, because you have to have the passion for Linux and open source to build a platform like this, and and that I've got. But I don't have the connections to the education community and the development community, and that's what Linux Academy had. But it's so genius because it's exactly what we need as a community. Is it's like all of those big name online education sites you heard, but specifically around Linux and open source. So instead of just like Linux and open source being a checkbox in their multi category of things they cover, from everything from Adobe After Effects to replace the oil in your truck like that's just for them it's a feature right but for linux academy it's their life it's their passion so they came together as linux enthusiasts and educators and developers and they built the linux academy platform and that was the missing piece is what we really really needed is somebody who's truly enthusiastic and creating incredible content i remember when i was starting in linux there was like the linux documentation project and there was the gen 2 wiki and all of these things were really good resources but they were not legitimate resources that i could tell my employer about that they could they could go towards my employment uh uh educational reimbursement it could show up on my review there was team account support like it didn't meet any of those criteria the best i had were books it was a horrible linuxacademy.com go there and check them out go to linux academy right now in fact if you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged you can get our 33 percent discount to really try them out for a little while isn't that slick go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged you have step-by-step video courses downloadable comprehensive study guides they have great a great system where you can choose from seven plus linux distributions they'll automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual machines they spin up for you on demand you want to know about aws you want to know about red hat certification docker virtualization just doing backups on a Linux rig, building out an entire LAMP stack, or maybe Android development on the Linux desktop. Linux Academy has courseware on that. You want to learn Ruby, Python, things like that. Anything that's an ecosystem around Linux and open source, Linux Academy has courseware on it because they love it. And they also have just introduced a new feature called Nuggets. Between two and 60-minute courses, we just deep dive on a topic. Nice things, too, like IP tables or rsync backup or virtualization in VirtualBox. Headless virtualization under VirtualBox. And if you're ready to go get those Red Hat Certified Engineer certifications, the ones that are basically what I remember. What, what I remember when I was doing interviews, I would look at somebody's. I would look at somebody's resume, and there's a few that would really stand out. The ones that I really respected, and, and definitely I would account. I would count the Red Hat certifications among them, because you really have to actually earn that certification. It's no joke. It's a hands-on kind of testing where you really have to work with the technology and prove you can do it over and over again. And as an interviewer, you know that, right? And it's a big deal that Linux Academy has some of the best courseware on the web on this. And you can go get it right now at a 33% discount when you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Oh, man. I love the Red Hat certified stuff. They are really working overtime on that. So 
Now, I am excited to talk to Mr. Skooky Sprite. It's been a while since he's been on the show, and I guess it is downtime. He's been working on, I believe it's called the Radio Controller Project or something along those lines. Skooky Sprite, what is it and what's the name? Uh, Radio Control Room Project. Control Room. Uh, yeah, you're, yeah, rcrproject.com. Uh, yeah, okay, so what, what is it? Um, it enables uh, users to create from their own local files autonomously self-generating programmatic streaming radio. So, so like if I want to be a DJ, that? like if I had a whole library of music and I wanted to be a DJ for a weekend, can I use this? Yeah, but what's what's even cooler? Okay, so like I got the idea because I have fifty six thousand MP three files, all of them legitimately ripped from my own CD collection, which I donated to the VA uh, library, and a bunch of vinyl. And so I'm thinking fifty six thousand, you know, MP three files. How am I ever going to listen to them? How am I ever going to even create playlists for what I want to hear at any given time? Right? Like, are you following me? Yeah, there? absolutely. Like, yeah, okay, so I thought, well, what if I had a way for – I like radio a lot. And what makes radio good – the thing that makes radio good you is there You just turn it on. You turn it on yeah. and you don't have to think about it. It's just the music you love is playing. Exactly. Or, or at certain times there are programs that are playing certain different types of music. Sure, yeah. So what if, what if I could make a program that would just make all of these programs – like the radio programs and stream them all as like one streaming radio thing, but it sounds like real radio. And this could be like running on my own server in my house that I could hook up to internet. So like, and it does like an IceCast stream in my in my phone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so where the rubber meets the road is IceCast and Liquid Soap. But what RCR adds to it is like basically the controller that sits on top of it. Mm. Um, I've run it off of. Uh, right now, it runs off of my uh, one of my laptops, um, which I use. You know, it's my daily driver, pretty much, uh, and it's been it, it spits it out to a digital ocean droplet, and anyone can listen to it. And the really exciting thing is, TuneIn Radio now uh, will you know will you can you can sign up with TuneIn Radio for free. That's the other thing is like I don't I don't like Pandora and stuff. You know <laughs> where it's like. Where it's like, oh well, fine. Uh, we want to access your preferences well, and your plus data. You want to use your own library, not Pandora's library. Absolutely. And the other cool thing is, you can like set up every aspect of the shows. So you can decide like when a show starts, the type of bumpers it has, the intros, outros. Um, it has back announce back announcements. Now you're going to put me out it. of work. This is you wait. You're just automating my job now. Pretty much. That's what I, I, I kind of wanted to do, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. You can finally retire. I was cutting straight for you, Chris. So I, I'm gathering this is a closed-source project released under a Microsoft license? Absolutely, no. Um, <laughs> no, it's totally built on a free and open-source uh, stack, like I said, liquid, like you said, Liquid Soap yeah. uh, and, and IceCast. And then this is built on top of it, and we're adding um, an HTML interface for it. Right now, you configure your shows via... Uh, actual you know text files and stuff which is not that bad because uh, there's a lot of stuff to configure so could a person say like uh say uh somebody in our chat room for example could they string together a few chapters of an old-time radio series or an audio book and kind of have like a weekly serial that broadcasts yes absolutely mm-hmm. um that's cool that that's, that's cool. in that's really cool. uh the the, the <laughs> latest uh unstable bill because like basically 
the the coolest thing about RCR is that it makes sure it has several checks in terms of like what gets added. So when you okay here, so like when you create a show, you select from all of these different directories or all of these individual files that you want to have played, and it actually has checks that you can turn on or off, like global freshness factor, for instance. Like so, so only every six hours before any any song repeats across any show, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's designed to randomize so that you hear stuff that you wouldn't normally cool. hear if you oh, were. That's neat. That's pretty cool. And so uh, the uh, link to the project, which you can also just find at rcrproject.com, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, and eventually, I'll just have this doing uh, a Linux Unplugged in the future. You won't even know. It'll just be powered by this thing. Scooby Sprite will be the uh, the puppet master of Linux Unplugged from a distance from Las Vegas with his blue hair. No, that's the coolest thing is you get to be the puppet master. You get to create – okay, so like the hardest thing about creating your own streaming radio station that doesn't suck is actually being there to create your own program. Yeah, to DJ that, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, hell, who has the time to DJ, you know, 24 hours of programming a day? Well, now you can without having to be there. Boom, boom. There you go. Now we're going to need a jobs programs for all those DJs that are getting put out of work by Scoogie Sprite. But it's cool. In the name of open source, it's cool. Uh, so check out, <laughs> we'll have a link in the show notes if uh, you guys want to check it out. All right, and that'll bring us towards the end of this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Wes, I'm glad you could make it out even after the big move. Congrats to the new place. Well, thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. The new digs in, uh, in Seattle. And uh, big thanks to uh, the folks at OSCON. Uh, who interviewed uh, us, and uh, thanks to uh, Noah, of course, for uh, making it out there with me. And, you know, I got to say, I really, really enjoyed uh, taking this, this, you know, all of the interviews we did for Linux Unplugged were just on this little more portable recorder, and I think, it, I think it got some really great chats, because uh, it's, a little, it's more disarming than having a big video camera in your face. And uh, I, I, I loved, it was, a good, it was a good, fun opportunity for me to just focus on doing interviews for an audio-only show, and I think it made for a much more enjoyable uh, OSCON for me. So there's a lesson in that for all of us. But I want to invite you to join us next week. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get this show in your local time zone. But if you're hip to the Pacific, it's at 2 p.m. over at jblive.tv. Of course, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to send us an email. But even better, go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, please. linuxactionshow.reddit.com. The feedback thread for this show never gets enough attention. So give it some attention. Give it some love attention at linuxactionshow.reddit.com, episode 103. Also... Any stories or feedback? Great, over there. Wes, is there you'd like to point people throughout the week? Anywhere? Twitter account? Anything like that? I don't think so. No? Okay. Follow me at Chris LES and follow the network at Jupiter Signal. And we'll see you back here next Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. JebbyTitles.com, and then we're going to get out of here. It's a big show today. Big show. JebbyTitles.com. Go pick. Now, it probably should be something with the OSCON in there, since that was the bulk, bulk of our show. But a lot of good stuff. Thank you specifically to Wimpy for that great update, and Skooky Sprite, and Popey. Great updates. And, of course, everybody else in the mumble room, like Mr. Corpse. JebbyTitles.com. JebbyTitles.com. Uh, oh, heck, I did a search. <laughs> now you see what I'm talking about. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Wimpy, you got a lot of coverage, didn't you?
Oh boy, I <laughs> didn't realise honestly. I, I thought troublemaker. There, like, Twenty comments on my G Plus stream were the size of it. I had no idea. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw the amount of coverage I got. I was like, "Wow, it's this is an issue that resonates with people." Oscon yeah, secrets. But what's interesting is, is that um, there's more people saying don't remove it than there are people agreeing with removing it. So I'm that's because crazy people that. outnumber us. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, Wimpy. I uh, my only experience with that is. At a certain point, you gotta go with your gut, and I, despite oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, 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 I mean, you know, I'm I'm getting feedback right now that would literally would literally be suicide for the show if I followed it, and I get it mm. over and over again, and I've got a fresh batch of it today. There's an active thread in our subreddit, and uh, it just it really shows you how sometimes the reason why you're the person making the content is because you are willing you to are take the these risks, and so yeah. it, you know, I I, I you can't. You gotta move forward. You really, I, I think so, it's a beautiful thing to do because worst case is you could always put it back in the next release. Well, so what if, it, what if it's already such. there? Yeah. yeah. If you could wave a magic wand and fix Software Center, what would you do? Like you know, if other than removing it, what's the magic <laughs> wand fix for Software Center? Other than burning it to the ground. <laughs> so I have a lot to say. On Are this you one. asking me, or is that a general question? It's a general question. Yeah. Okay. So one the developers having access to the paid section of the Ubuntu Software Center and not having access to do anything at all on the open source thing, that sucks. The, I don't understand what you're saying. If I, if, when, if, I create a, if I put an app in the Ubuntu Software Center that is completely free, but it's on the paid section, I can control the source of the app and I can actually update it myself. And I can do whatever I want. I can change descriptions. I can change the photos and all that good stuff. If I have my app in the open source side of it and I, I have absolutely zero control and I have to just beg and beg and beg for them to do anything. Rodin, did, like, wasn't that the thing like hmm. they wouldn't update? You went through like several like updates of your own project and they wouldn't update it? Yeah, right. it took me a but year to get my stuff updated. That's, that's less of an Ubuntu software. I, I I accept that's an issue. That's less of an Ubuntu software center issue. No, no, from the software center. Is, the, the, having that split is irritating. The fact that no, I can't control not, that is incredibly irritating. But also, that's not the question I'm in, asking. Then. As an end user, you you have to the recommendation system um, is pretty much useless because it's based on your account that you don't have yet. So Amen. then you'd have to create the account, which is the Ubuntu One thing, which then they announced that Ubuntu One was going away, but they really weren't taking it away. It was just a music no, thing, so that Ubuntu created One confusion. Didn't I know. I just explained what I meant. Anyway, it created confusion. It created confusion. Because Ubuntu One music is called Ubuntu One, and no one called it Ubuntu One music. It confused people. So then now there's actually that. people who do say that. Who say that it's gone, and I've had to explain to them, no, it's not. It's still there. It's just confusing. We just but, wish that it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually explained. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, though, like there is a situation with the uh, listings of what you have installed um, is I, only available when you're logged into your account. 
So you can't look to see what if you actually have installed on your computer in the software center Come unless on, you no. have it that's, logged in. That's 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 people that have actually used it. That's your complaints, Rodden, are all from complaints people that have ever used it. I think the okay. the first it's impression also incredibly slow. Yeah. Right. So load, that's, that's what I'm aiming at. Is the, the search the, is incredibly the, awful. The, yeah, so the search is oh, absolutely terrible. The search is bad. But hold on, hold on. That's so not the question I'm about. asking, yeah. I'm, I'm asking this from the perspective of someone who's installing Ubuntu Mate, right? So someone who's installing Ubuntu Mate, they're going to be affected by the fact that this is missing. So those are people who are doing a clean install. Those are new users. These are not people who've already got like hundreds of pounds spent in the Ubuntu store. So I'm saying from the perspective of someone who's experiencing Ubuntu Software Center in something like Mate or any other desktop for that matter what you know other than it being slow I appreciate it is slow and I hear that quite a lot what what else is wrong with the software center itself I'll tell you what atrocious no I'll tell you the search actually removes itself based on different parts of where you are in the software center so if you actually do a search you go to a you go to a um, you go to any of the items for the results, you no longer have your search box. You have to revert back to a pre- two previous pages before you find your, reser- your search box again. Yeah, that is awful. Uh, yeah. you know, it, here's what it is, and I think why I care is because it's at a big picture what the Linux desktop screws up all the time. It's like if we can't do it right, let's not do it at all because then – because then it's just compared to what Mac and, and Windows is doing. And so if, if, we have a, if we have a software store, it has to be comparable to what – I understand it existed before the app, Mac App Store did and before the Windows 10 software store did. But now it also exists in a world where those things do exist and where a lot of people right. are and coming from. it's not been, not yeah. been touched in and the last so two years. I feel so like it, it, it sort of personifies that um, – Poor knockoff, uh, um, um, uh, sort of right. reputation that the commenters on Engadget give Ubuntu all the time. Chris, um, let, let, me, let me put you this way: I tried to get my uh, well, now ex girlfriend, and no, it was not because of the Ubuntu software store, um, but uh, it was close. Um, I tried to get her uh, to uh, to jump onto Ubuntu, and I'm like, oh well, just look on look on whatever they have, you know, because like I'm used to all these other distributions, and she's like, no, but this doesn't work, you know. She was looking for something that you know could manage her photos better, and. There's no like you know alternatives to is so much better. That's that's where I think uh, yeah you do exist in this world where the software other you know competing things exist and yeah it should have been fixed two years ago. But I think the well, I think the web version is better. What are you gonna say? Yeah, they oh, actually mm. have their own. They have a better version. That's their website, appsubuntu.com. Yeah. I know, but but that's not what better. ships with the, That's not what ships with the OS. Well, it doesn't matter. You, you you go to it, and regardless, or they can put a link in the launcher that just opens that. That's website. what I'm saying. Right in a in a frame kind of. Thing. Yeah. How I about in a scope? How about in a scope? Yeah. Put it put it right up yeah. there in the dash. That works. I made a video about ten months ago explaining why the USC versus the that website, the com. That is such a better solution. It was so myself and Popey and you, Rotten, that were having a discussion a lot like this ten months ago that prompted you to make that video because I'd not heard of apps.ubuntu.com when we were... Oh, yeah, that's this. true. Yeah, and I like that's, that's, I think The I, problem is that that's not maintained either because yeah, you'll yeah. find that... It's yeah. not perfect. No, yeah, yeah, I yeah. haven't got entries for the current, sure. the current versions. Right, it's not perfect, but the search results work. But to, oh, to, yeah. so if it was if, they if it was faster, had, if it was faster, had better search results, and didn't bother doing recommendations based on stuff you it doesn't know about you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm yeah, okay that with would be recommendations. Start. It's just I would rather it be able to scan what I already have 
rather than right. require me to log create an account, log into that account, tell them what to let the, give them a permission to see my my install. Oh, app. I see. So if it just looks at your existing packages on your machine right. without going off to the cloud or anything like that. Right. It just streamlined it and made it simpler. And and gotcha. people might some people might go, "Oh, well, I don't want them to see or see what I have installed." It's like, "Well, it's local anyway. It doesn't matter. It's only telling so, you what it sees. Right. You it know, doesn't need to submit. No, that, here's so. a couple of things. Right. Though. Here's the here's the really depressing thing is uh, this is the same commentary that's been, we've been Matt and I've made on Linux Action Show for the last couple of years. You guys had this conversation as recent as ten months ago, and I think the reason why Wimpy's story got so much traction is because it's now just gotten into the general Ubuntu community's mind yeah. that the Software Center is a total train wreck, and that's why that pick that story picked up momentum is because it's just and- a general shared consensus now. And Popey, okay. I love so, you, but like I, I gotta say, like Chris is totally right. I remember when this show was started. That was when I started yeah. listening to it. So, we were ta- we're still talking. About in, that. in my opinion, just, just Wimpy, so you know, whether you love me or hate me doesn't detract, doesn't take away from the fact that <laughs> Software Center sucks. Wimpy, I, I can handle that. Wimpy, you are getting you are getting uh, a such a tiny percentage of the people that are following this story commenting saying you shouldn't get rid of it because the amount of momentum and distribution the story has got is so proportionally outweighing the amount of comments you're getting about why it should be removed. It's just really hard to. See See that until you've been through this cycle a few dozen times. It's obvious just by the by the sheer amount of momentum the story got that it is a shared consensus by a lot of people. It doesn't mean by everybody, but I, I'd say it's a majority. So, Popey asked the question: How how would we I fix the Ubuntu Software Center? My answer to that is primarily I look to my immediate family and the close friends of mine that run Ubuntu Mate that are not super technical computer users they use it because it's familiar and they know how to get stuff done using it they can use the ubuntu software center just fine they they've been using some of them have been using uh, ubuntu for 6 years or more some have been using it for a year 18 months they see that as a perfectly usable tool so for them i don't need to change it but what you said chris is absolutely right the undercurrent of feeling about the Ubuntu Software Center is that it's not very good anymore. And you hear that enough times, and I'm in a position where I can make a change, hopefully for the better. So this change I'm ushering in by removing Ubuntu Software Center as the default installed app store is because people that are familiar with the Ubuntu community and have been a part of it for a long time generally seem to have this collective feeling that the Ubuntu software is not that great and there's, there's, it should be replaced with something better. And what I'm providing is the choice for those people to make that decision. So they can choose to stay with the Ubuntu Software Center or they can use AppGrid and potentially a third way as well and we'll yeah. see if that pans out in the future. Yeah, hopefully we'll giving, stimulate that. It's giving the users the choice. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Ubuntu Mate Welcome, it pops up. Uh, on first login you've probably seen these welcome screens from other distributions so the ability to click the software button and see this option to install an app store is right there in front of every new install every new user on the system so it's not tucked away or hidden it's front and center Mm-hmm. i think that's a good compromise i like it and it is it is a compromise um but uh, we'll see whether it was a good decision or not. And maybe maybe for beta 1 or beta 2, we have a change of policy. But, you know, Ubuntu Software Center's future is 
Maybe you should just keep alternating it, like for each for each release, just like rip it out, <laughs> put it back, rip yeah, it out, put it back. Hey, what could go wrong? Keep everyone happy. What could go I wrong? I know that Ubuntu Mate is sort of a throwback to how Ubuntu used to be, but I'm not going to swap out major applications every cycle. But I'm bummed. Yeah. Remember, you know, rhythm box in, <laughs> F spot out. You remember how it was? Yes. I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Lord. Burn.